into sports. 20 yards out, Ursa shoot, don't shoot! Oh, oh what a goal for Fabinho! Wow! Then get into the all new OTB Sports app. I think when he apologises to me, I probably will say hello to him, yeah. No. Videos, sports news, live scores, interviews. If Abregas is going to come up to me in the street and give me some of a mouth that he would have given me on a football pitch, what do we get a slap? Plus, exclusive content on the OTB Podcast Network. The biggest names in sports. Ready when you are. Search OTB Sports on your app store and download it now. The OTB Podcast Network. With Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites. Like that. I'm a very confident front runner for Caddy for 33 years, 145 wins now, and that's the best win I've ever had. I have no idea what you have. I don't know. I'm, how are we going to count all the shots? I, I, I can't keep track. I don't think he's pleased. Of course you would. That's a, that's a particularly stupid question. If they are show, of course you want to play at the weekend. Well, all of a sudden, the golfing season is gathering pace. Rory is back on the course and looking good, you would have to say. Justin Thomas dropped by Ralph Lauren and being asked lots of questions in Abu Dhabi about only one thing. And Tiger Woods, back surgery number five. Nathan Murphy, hello. Good afternoon. Peter Laurie of Spawell Driving Range. Peter, how are you? Good afternoon, Joe. I am okay. Good man. Fionn, hello. Hey, Joe. So lots going on. I know you've seen uh, parts one and two of the new Tiger Doc, Fionn, you're going to give us the lowdown. Nathan, have you got to part two yet? No, it's um, sitting, waiting to be watched. But I've read the reviews and uh, I kind of know what to expect, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard many people saying it's great. I haven't heard many people saying, well, there's no need for anyone to go and try and make the Definitive Woods documentary. It's been done. Yeah, I... Uh... I don't think it's, uh, and Fionn, you can fill us in, I don't think it's going to be a behind the scenes of uh, his last 18 holes at Augusta National in April 2019 or anything like that. No, it's not really a behind the scenes of anything of the last 10 years. That's mm. the, that, that would be, spoiler alert. Um, it's, uh, I mean, other than kind of stuff that we already know and it's been well reported in the media, I, I yeah. I, I was. Uh, I must say, I was. Uh, I was quite disappointed with the second episode. Okay. Well, we'll come to that. On the course this week, we have the Abu Dhabi Championship. Rory McIlroy's made a lightning start there, sixty-four in his first day. We'll come to that in a moment. And there is the American Express on the PGA Tour. Uh, Kevin Na victorious last Sunday in Hawaii. But we should start with Tiger Woods, seeing as we've mentioned uh, Woods. I was saying to you last night and off the ball, Nathan. Anytime now you see that logo pop up on your Twitter feed you expect the worst. And it was quite jarring to go, oh my God, back surgery. Oh my God. So how serious is this is uh, the question. They like to refer to it as a procedure, which makes it sound almost sweet. Like a tooth whitening procedure rather than extremely painful root canal. Uh, If this was back surgery number one for Tiger Woods, firstly, it's Tiger Woods. It's always going to be a story, any injury setback. But... The fact it's the fifth is the most worrying part of this. He's shown he can recover from serious back surgery. He's shown his body can take a lot of punishment and can come back and can win a major title. But it's just feeding into a sense that since Augusta in 2019, that the body again is letting him down 
a little bit. Now, Rory McIlroy said he had the surgery two days before Christmas and was upstanding a day later. Won't play the next few weeks. Should be back in time for Augusta, but we are back into Tiger Watch of... Oof, how's that back when he's picking the ball out of the hole? Oh, he seemed to give... Is he just holding his back a little bit there? Mm. Which is is a real shame. It is like Tiger's... Tiger's back. That headline just sums up the last five years of Tiger Woods. Either, either his actual back or Tiger being back. <laughs> a micro dissectomy. He's had this operation several times in the past, certainly twice in 14, 15, maybe more than that. The spinal fusion was in 2017. So McElroy, and in doing so, also making a real pitch, I think, to take over from Noda Begay as unofficial Tiger spokesperson, said, <laughs> well, I've known for a while. He didn't say it like this, but this is how I'm going to read the quotes. I've known for a while. It happened on 23rd of December. I'm obviously pretty close with him. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the end of the quote. But I'd say at that point, Noda Begay was like, what? Uh, so uh, Rory said, so yeah, I think in his words, it was a small procedure. He was back on his feet the next day. I think they're just trying to clean a couple of things up. Obviously, he won't play for the next couple of weeks, but should be back for the Masters, if not before. I think he'll be just fine. Graeme Dillette has had this uh, surgery uh, twice, certainly once, maybe even twice. He was tweeting saying, this is not a procedure. <laughs> he, he was out for months afterwards, so probably a more uh, serious case. But uh, for, for Woods, Fionn, I mean... It's just a trend now. I mean, he pays a price at the moment anytime he shows good form. Anytime he puts in the reps to get to good form, he pays a big price afterwards at the moment. He paid a big yeah. price after uh, the Masters. He had had 18 starts on the uh, Tour in 2018, won the Tour Championship, went into the Masters, you know, all those starts, helped him win the Masters, but then paid a long price across the rest of 2019, got himself back up to being able to win the President's uh, cup and played brilliantly at Royal Melbourne and won the Zozo at the end of 19 mm. but then paid an even bigger price 2020 with just seven starts and like 2020 is pretty much his worst year really I mean in a, a, a bar the years he didn't participate at all 2020 was a write-off so without even doing all that much in 2020 he's uh, continuing to pay a price for getting himself back to major winning Tiger yeah, I mean, and it's it's quite telling that when we did the predictions for 2021, was it last week the week before? Like Tiger's name didn't even get mentioned. We didn't even talk about him. Like who who do we think would feature? What were the going to be the big golfing stories of the year? And like it didn't dawn on any of us to mention Tiger Woods because because 20 alas, as much as Tiger fans, including us, I guess, um, would very much like for 2019 to be a measure of what the next few years would be like for Tiger, we all suspect that 2020 will be more a feature of what the next few years will be like for Tiger. Um, and as for, I'm obviously, look, I'm, I'm, I don't know anything about back surgeries, but my, my mother-in-law is a physiotherapist and my brother-in-law has had really bad back problems this last six or seven months, including like having um, like a bit of a disc that was pressing down on his sciatic nerve, which is similar to what, what Tiger's had or what he's getting this procedure for. And even though my brother-in-law avoided the surgery or the procedure, I remember my, uh, my, I said my brother-in-law avoided the procedure, but my mother-in-law says, yeah, it's one thing you, you, you don't want this. This is, it's as who Graeme Dillette said, this is not a procedure. This is a serious thing. It's a serious surgery. I know he's had it before, but it's not something 
it's not something that can be just easily dismissed out of hand. That's mm. the impression I get. Mm. Peter? It's hard to not agree with what everybody said. Um, you know, he's he's a top-class athlete. He he. It's probably a, a question mark for all the gym bunnies out there um, that are put their bodies through tremendous strain throughout their career. Um, look at John Ram. He, he, he had to pull out this week because he, he injured himself in the gym. Um, so it, it's probably a, a note to, to take into consideration for all the young guys out there to maybe not push yourself as hard in the gym as some of the older guys seem to have done in the past and end up with bodies that fail when you're in your 40s. That we know of, that we know of, I stress. I presume there's so much about Tiger we don't know. 10 surgeries. Uh, someone listed this on Twitter. So uh, December 94, left knee. December 02, I guess he had a good run there. December 02, left knee. April 08, left knee. June 08, left knee. I presume that's after the US Open. And then 2014 back, 2015 back, 2015 again in the October, back. April 2017, that was the fusion, back. August 2019, left knee, and 2021 now, back. 10 surgeries. I've not had one surgery. I haven't had one, like, injury so bad in my life I've needed surgery. I'm having 10. 10! Mm. And they've been expected to be the best athlete in the world on top of that. 45. Uh, yeah. Well, you'd have to question the best athlete in the world, the best best guy to get a golf ball around the field i don't know whether you have to be a supreme athlete to do that oh my god peter laurie and shocking golf is not really a sport news <laughs> no 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 i didn't say that didn't say that <laughs> it, well at his peak he was oh, all right i'm sure there are many athletes because of their sport who needed to be fitter and in a slightly different shape tiger was as in good a shape as a golfer can physically be in so to go from that to this and the one thing we don't know, and from looking at the shape he's still in, is he able to cut back on the reps? Does he feel comfortable going on a golf course if he doesn't feel he's put the reps in? Hmm. That actually, if he steps back and says, I am a 45-year-old, I can't do those things anymore, but my body's a different way, and I'd be perfectly confident going to the golf course with that. Well, that was actually the final point to bring up. Yeah, so what are we expecting from Mudenay going forward? Say he makes a recovery. I mean, he. Uh, so I said 18 starts, I think, in 2018, as he built up to that brilliant form at the Masters. He's now pretty much down, you would feel, to, I'm going to say, eight starts, as in the four majors, and he'll try and play an event in the three to four weeks before each major. And maybe the players, that's nine starts. I think that might be it now for Woods going forward, that he knows, based on the last two, three years, he is so limited in what he can do practice-wise and playing-wise, tournament-wise. I think at best, uh, this year, next year, whenever he decides to uh, wrap it up for good, eight to nine starts. And based on last year, when he pretty much did that with seven starts, that's not enough, Peter, for him to compete in the majors. He was way too rusty when it came to it. I, I actually think you're going to see a different Tiger Woods now. And it's more because of his son than anything else, uh, Charlie. Um, he will be playing far more golf with him, not as much practice, but far more golf, in, in my opinion. Okay. Um, it ha you, you see it quite a bit with uh, professional golfers and their sons. 
and the sun gets quite good at it and the it makes the it makes the actual golfer go out and play more than practice so i actually think you might see tiger play a little bit more this year and less practice and he probably will be become more comfortable doing that um, and he'll get a little bit more longevity out of his career okay that's an optimistic note that's a hard balance to get though for him isn't it of getting so if tiger is in decent physical shape to hold back from playing certain tournaments because he knows actually if he was to play that maybe there's a detrimental effect further down the line but can he be prepared enough for the majors by doing that by actually holding himself back at other times of the year that he doesn't play two of the three weeks in advance of the US Open or of the Masters is he going to have enough reps is he going to have enough time on the golf course to be ready and how does he balance all that out he's still a few years though from him, Jack Nicholas, and Gary Player doing the opening shot at the Masters, though, isn't he? He is, but his forty-five-year-old body is about sixty, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> who's got whose body's in better shape, Tiger Woods or Gary Player? Hmm. Oh, well, we know what Gary Player thinks. Hmm. I uh, think he has a great track record, Tiger, of turning up at majors across his career without having played much and being brilliant. But I think he was practicing ferociously then. Ferociously. It's legendary. You know, it's, it's morning after winning majors. He's back on it at his peak. And that was how he was able to pitch up at those majors. And he was so strong mentally that the extra pressure of suddenly playing in a major uh, didn't disrupt him. Whereas now I think he's coming to these majors, but he's not practicing enough because his body won't let him. So I just think it's impossible now. And, and, I, and I was one, like I thought he played quite well last year in a Mm. patchy kind of way I was often saying it that I'd watched the highlights of his rounds and he hit so many good shots and was kind of optimistic in a way about Augusta and certainly optimistic after day one of Augusta but this just feels like uh, very hard to see him being able to practice anywhere near enough between now and April that's for sure look where he was in 2016 yeah, where he's withdrawing from tournaments week after week and he's hobbling through car parks trying to lift his clubs true. back to the car like, yeah. we thought he was gone we mm. thought this is the saddest possible end for somebody of his talent. Mm. And he's shown he could come back and win a major. Not just win a tournament, but go win tournaments and win a major. So yeah. I, I, you have to always caveat everything you say about all the injuries, the age, yeah. that this man has consistently pulled off miracles throughout his career. Yeah, that's very fair. That's very fair. I guess the isn't the issue that none of us really know, the golfing world at large. We don't know anything more than the Woods statement and what McElroy has said so right across the golfing world this week there's been a rush to digest this news analyze this news and what does this mean and nobody can answer so at that point maybe. I agree with you there <laughs> I'd like to on? think that Rory thought about this as a sort of game plan in the build up to the Masters knowing that while Rory going for the career Grand Slam is a big story it's still on golfchannel.com's homepage, you know, Rory's press conference is only sixth compared to five Tiger stories. Yeah. That if he could be the go-to guy for the latest on Tiger, then that would be the big story out of all his press conferences rather than, Rory, what do you feel about the Pro Grand Slam? How are you feeling here? Uh-huh. He's no to be gay the fourth, Rory McIlroy. That's his new, <laughs> his new gig. Hit me with your Tiger questions, everyone. Uh, speaking of Rory then, a 64 in Abu Dhabi. Uh, this, is, this is nice. Peter, Peter, now we're talking. Uh, what gave me great hope was seeing Michael Bannon on the range. Rory effectively, for all the criticism, leveled from some quarters, not here. Uh, for all the, the criticism of 2020, the, one of the big issues for him was 
in the era of COVID, he couldn't hook up with Michael Bannon. So seeing him and Bannon on the range this week in Abu Dhabi would have given everybody, I think, a bit of hope. And uh, right from the first hole, which he birdied the par 5 10th and just took off, uh, this is now, uh, this is good. I, I, I feel really good about McElroy this year. I said that even before today. Well, if he was ever going to start on a golf course that's right up his alley, yeah. this is it. Um, I, I could play this golf course in my dreams. Um, I know it that well. And it suits Rory's game. It's, it's high. You get it out there. It's warm. It's a, uh, you've got to be long to take on some of the corners. Um, it's not overly punishing in the rough. Um, greens are a nice speed, not too quick. Um, so it's right up Rory's alley to start. And he, he came out with a stat himself over the last, I think it was at 11 years that he's been out on tour in his first week back. Um, he's finished top five 11 times or something like that. Mm. Um, you know, so he, he, he's normally coming out to a, a venue ready to play. And with Michael Bannon there, just kind of looking over his shoulder. Um, yeah, look, it's, it's, I think um, he's going to be the man to beat this week, big time. When you say greens are quick, but not too quick, does too quick not suit Rory? Um, I, they're just at a nice pace. They're, they're not, nothing scary about them. Um, and they're very good. Um, they don't really spike up at all. Um, so there's nothing really to worry about with them. Um, and, you know, having played there quite a few times, he has played there quite a few times, you know the breaks. Um, you know, the pin placements don't really change year on, year out. Hmm. So it's going back to a venue that he knows quite well. He knows the breaks. Um, he knows where to hit us. So um, it, it's a very comfortable feeling going back to a golf course like that. What kind of appearance fee money were you getting? Yeah, really. I wish. <laughs> uh, it's just, Did you ever get appearance shocking. fee money? No. It's shocking uh, the amount of money that is being paid out this week. It's absolutely shocking. Go on. Give us some figures. Well, uh, have a look at the prize fund and then just think about it. You could nearly double, if not triple, the prize fund of what's been paying out in the appearance fees and have a look it's at the field. Million dollars is the, $8 million is the total prize fund. So it's you all. You think- Even on last year and COVID and all of that, it's a million more the prize fund than it was last year. Wow. So you reckon it's, it could be double, triple that amount in terms of yeah. appearance fees? The amount of guys who are getting paid this week to play, absolutely. Like you, you don't get Justin Thomas and Rory McIlroy for free. So you no, know, but each, you of, not get each of them is getting not a chance. No, hmm. not anymore. And it, well, who would pay for him? But obviously Abu Dhabi. Are. So sorry. Okay, McIlroy getting paid for sure. Some of the names here. Is Matt Fitzpatrick getting extra money? Yes. Justin Rose? Yes. Okay, Thomas, obviously. Lee Westwood, no. He'll turn up to any old European tour event. (laughs) 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 Lee, great to have you back in the pod. We were just saying the nicest things about you. (laughs) Joe wants to explain what he meant. Lee Westwood is. Okay, Tommy Fleetwood? Oh, definitely. So is it, hang on, is it just like, would, Peter, do the appearance fees based on your world ranking where you are in the order of merit, as well as the fact that you might be a big name. So whether Tiger Woods, doesn't matter where he is. He's... Correct, yeah. yeah. I, I want to know how far down so the field does probably, it go. 
Like the the the, the top it's ten. Fifteen guys. Is, 15. is Shane Lowry okay. getting paid? Fifteen to twenty. Okay. What about Shane Lowry? Uh, yes. Yes. Was Shane Lowry getting paid before? Do you think he won the Open? No chance. But he would be now. That's what winning a major does. Yeah. And in terms uh, yeah. of fees working down, are we looking at say McElroy and Thomas are in the sort of two million territory, and then Fleetwood a million, Lowry half a million, that kind of? No, I, I I think it would be very top heavy for the for the top two guys. Um, so I think you'd be close on what you're saying there. Um, but then I'd say the last guy is probably getting twenty five to 25 yeah but 25 to 35 Grand. is 15th okay i mean that's you know it costs a bit to get out there and all the rest that's not ridiculous i was gonna ask is is it are your co- are your costs covered like will they like unless you're flying private jet would they give you like chuck well, in like a first class ticket on emirates or etihad or whatever oh you'd get two you'd get two uh, tickets yeah for yourself and the caddy Sweet life but i look like this week of all weeks, I suppose, starts the season. And this was your start of the year. So you'd probably spend a couple of days in Dubai and then head up to Abu Dhabi. Um, and this is what I really miss. Like this brings a tear to my eye. I <laughs> but you, you used to go to, uh, when, we, when we originally played in Abu Dhabi, they used to put us up in the uh, palace. The, it, have a look. Uh, at the palace in Abu Dhabi, this hotel Emirates is Palace. Just I've been. I've stayed. The Emirates Palace. Yeah, um, it's just out of this world. When they built um, it in around two thousand and five or six or whatever it was, so the idea was is that it was going to be to Abu Dhabi what the Burj Al Arab is to Dubai. You know the one that's shaped like a sail. Yeah, yeah. So the yeah. Emirates Palace is <laughs> the details. It's got. So it's like the entrance is like is like a slightly smaller version of the Arc de Triomphe. Remember this, Peter? So you drive yeah. through underneath an Arc de Triomphe triumphal arch and you go up yeah. and then it's this huge kind of rectangular building. And there's like, I can't remember the detail at the time, but it was like millions of pounds worth of gold leaf just on all the walls. It's like the most, yeah. it's the most over the top place. I will say it's this, just- Peter. The last yeah. time I went in, it had it had kind of worn its years quite badly. So it was in a weirdly in it, it was in need of an, an update. Like it needed a little bit of right. a newer gold. Huh? Yeah, but look, uh, look, Fiona, whatever you gold. say, I miss it. I don't care what you sure say. I know. I look at it. it. It's an amazing place. Yeah. You used to have a butler who used to come to your room and knock on the door. Hello, Mr. Laurie. Is there anything can we get you today? I said, I've got a few cokes there for the mini bar. It would be great. Thanks very much. It was special. Yeah. Um, I, I, in one part, they used to have an ATM, uh, and you put in your card and give you a gold bullion. Like you could, you could actually right, buy I, gold. I, I thought you were going to say it had an ATM, and you didn't even have to put in your card. It just gave you money. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wish. But uh, yeah, that just look. It brings back memories of tour life. It really does. Uh, yeah, uh, and those were the perks. Those were the perks of uh, a week starting in Abu Dhabi was spectacular. Better than having to quarantine in a Radisson in Australia, I'll tell you. Yeah, well. Mm. Poor butler having to go up and down that lift to bring you and McGrain more jellies. Oh, my God. No, you used to get a room to yourself, Joe. Yeah. You didn't have to have McGrain that week. It was even better. Would you stop? (laughs) You you, You had the butler bring in McGrain's bed. They had, um, (laughs) the butlers are. And sell the room. 
Wasn't it per room, Peter? So the butler yeah, sits every every floor. Every every four rooms, I think there was a butler. I they like said that. when when I got the the, the, the walk around visit, they said uh, you know they were explaining the butler service, this personalized butler service, and so I said, so like, what kind of stuff can you get? And the example they gave me has always stuck with me. It's like, well, say for example, you want a T-bone steak at four in the morning, they'll get you it. I'm like, who the hell wants a T-bone steak at four in the morning? <laughs> it's such a bizarre thing to request. But I'm guessing that because they gave me that as an example, that it's not an irregular request. Wow. I guess if you're jet lagged and you've just landed after yeah, a long sure, flight and you're you're hungry. That's true. What's the yeah. most obnoxious thing you ordered on room service, Peter? Uh, I have no clue. Oysters no. at 3 a.m. for you and McGrain. No, absolutely not. No, that was always frowned upon. Room service and minibar was frowned upon. Okay, fair enough. Just by you and McGrain or in general? No, by me and McGrain. <laughs> so you wouldn't have to row about who, who had what? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, the good life is firmly behind you now, my friend. So we'll, <laughs> I know. We'll, I that, know. Was a, that was a welcome There's a tangent. tear in my eye. Yeah, there's a tear <laughs> in my eye. If uh, I ever miss tour life, it's always in January. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. So look, McElroy shot a 64. This is really promising. He had some semi-interesting things to say about his um, targets for the year. So he's been looking at his game and identifying things he wants to improve on. For instance, he said one of the things was approach play out of the rough, which he said is sort of random. I hit 60% of fairway. So that means 40% of the time I'm hitting out of the rough, which is quite a lot. And my performance out of the rough last year was way down uh, than what it was the previous year. And then he kind of said, it's hard because who goes and drops a bag of practice balls in the rough and starts hitting shots in the rough? You go to the range, you hit it off perfectly manicured turf. And so he says, uh, you know, he's going to try and practice the right way, stuff like that. The other thing, the second thing he mentioned was puts between four and eight feet, which... um, wasn't quite as good last year as it was the previous year. He didn't bring up wedge play in any great uh, way. It was looking through the comments. I think he sort of felt that was on a par with where it had been the previous year. So they were two of the thoughts from Rory. Nathan, I know you were keeping an eye on the press conferences. Was there anything else I missed from Rory? Uh, he's been working with Butch. Oh. So while Michael Bannon hasn't been able to go to Florida and was well, he's in uh, Abu Dhabi this week, Rory's been in America and was in spending a bit of time in Vegas and thought, well, while I'm here, why not go to Butch and have a chat? And said he found it very useful as much as for the conversation and been able to go through some of the issues been having and that Butch's depth of knowledge of golfers that he's worked with, that hmm. having Butch be able to come back and say, well, actually, Phil was going through something similar or DJ did this when he had that problem, that it was very reassuring. So it wasn't a break from Michael Bannon in any way. He was trying to reinforce it. Michael Bannon knows my swing better than anybody else, but having that other view and even having a different type of personality to have that conversation with, uh, he found was pretty beneficial. Right. So uh, and, this and you, seems to have a bit more depth than the Jordan Spieth and Butch rumors. And did you get the impression it was more than just that time before the Masters? Because that was that was publicized and Butch was even talking about it on the Sky Sports commentary during the Masters. Mm. Do you know, like, no, did, did he talk to him this, post-Masters? This, sound, this, this, this sounds as though it has been in uh, since Rory last played. Wow. So, right. so since, the, since the Masters and said he took a little or no break after the Masters, uh, two, three days off playing golf. And since then, 
he's been working hard, which is why he feels yet again he's coming into Abu Dhabi right. in tip top shape. This is what we want to hear from him. I do think last year was a kick up the backside for him. I'm, I'm, I'm that, delighted to hear that. I was I was so worried. I was so worried we'd have a McElroy interview where he said, "Look, it was our first Christmas with our newborn child, so we we put everything, locked everything up, and just enjoyed ourselves and had a good time." So I'm, I'm going to get yeah. back into it now. That's great to hear. So what are you saying, Joe? Well, isn't it great? Thrilled that he's abandoned his fatherhood duties. <clears throat> <laughs> okay no now you're mutually exclusive isn't it great that he's actually talking to somebody who has that experience it, you know it doesn't have to be another player he's actually talking to butch who has worked with some of the best players in the world and knows exactly what he's going through knows exactly what he's thinking um rather than you know, trying to figure it out himself or listening to his backroom team mm. who, don't get me wrong, are intelligent, but they've just never been there before. Mm. Yeah, in a way, uh, well, Abu Dhabi is the perfect starting point for him. And I know he hasn't won there, but he's had a lot of really good rounds. It is a place that is always going to raise expectations because he's so comfortable around there mm. and that he's always going to start the season well, you feel. And now there's going to be momentum and whereas actually you thought maybe he would start the season quietly, it's going to be three months of Grand Slam talk yeah. once again. And he is playing, he said he's playing seven of the next eight weeks. Wow. So he is going to be there front and center uh, consistently. I just hope he can go on and win it this time because I think this is the third time he's led from the start in Abu Dhabi and he hasn't seen it out. Now he was making the point that I think Tommy Fleetwood came out one year in the final round and shot a 65 on the last day alongside him and there was nothing he could really do about it. But... Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll all slightly lose the run of ourselves, I think, if McElroy goes and wins this week. Mm. Seven of eight is a great stretch. Uh, Peter, as a matter of interest, if you had been inclined to do so and you'd phoned up Butch Harmon and said, Peter Lara, European Tour, can I come out for a lesson? Would he have taken you on? No problem, do you think? No, not not now. I wouldn't have thought so. I think he's cut right back on, yeah. on what he's doing. I think he's. Um, if you want to see Butch, you have to go see him. Yeah. You know, you have to go to Vegas. He doesn't travel that much anymore. Um, but I'd say he goes to only the very elite players right now. It's not about money anymore for Butch, I wouldn't have thought. Yeah. I'm Mormon back in your playing days. Uh, still then, mm. I would have said he would have been very, um, you know, limiting his players. Because I would have thought, um, you know, I, I would have. Most coaches I, I, would have been like that. Yeah. I mean, not least when you were having your kind of driver woes or whatever. I would like Butch should be first name on my list. You know, I would have I would have been booking that flight to Vegas 100 percent to work with Butch. I would have thought everyone's at the back of their mind thinking that's not the worst thing you could do. No, but I, I, I would have thought and, and to be honest with you, I never tried. Hmm. Um, but my thinking was they would be very much, um, you know, limiting their players because um, remember you had Claude on the last time that I missed that would have been one of the questions I had said to you how do you how, how do you separate uh, from player to player to player because you're working so exclusively with one how do you you know give up a bit more of your time to work with other players mm. yeah Peter is I mean obviously Butch is a great great coach and has you know an amazing legacy but is is part of it is that is he kind of he's burnished his reputation a lot, so there's a kind of there's a brand there. Like, I mean, is Pete Cowan that much less of a coach than Butch? Uh, no, not at all. But I, I think Pete Cowan is far more um, technical 
right. than Butch Harmon is. Okay. Um, and, and would explain it far more technically uh, than Butch Harmon would. Um, I, both of them could be saying the exact same thing, but Pete, Pete would break it down into angles and a, um, a geometry, you know, to be far more geometry in it than, than uh, uh, Butch would have in his. Okay. Oh, it's interesting. I didn't realize that Butch was more of a, a feel it player rather than mm. a, or a coach than a technical one. Just, uh, sorry, just sorry. To, I was just uh, looking up at the quotes again from earlier. Um, it does seem that it was at the CJ Cup in Vegas when Jordan Speed. So that was pre-Masters that he met Butch. Yeah. But they, they have stayed in touch since and have been exchanging texts and videos over the past few months. Okay. All Good. right. No harm at all. Good. If Rory McIlroy pitched up in Abu Dhabi feeling good about life, you can imagine it was a quiet plane ride for Justin Thomas with uh, not much else in his mind except the questions waiting for him on the other side of arrival and so it proved it was all he was asked about. Ralph Lauren have cut ties with him and I'm not shocked to see he didn't play well today. I mean, he might pick things up, of course, but he was plus one. That puts him, this is not a difficult course for someone of his talent, plus one outside the top 80 today. And uh, he was only asked about one thing, um, you know, he, he stressed, even though lots of people, including us, have kind of wondered if, if this the word he used must be part of his lexicon. He said, it's not a word I use. I'm trying to figure out why it was there. So he said, um, that's what I'm trying to figure out right now, why it was in there, as in why it was in his head. It's going to be a part of this process and training program or whatever I need to do. And not only to prove to myself, but prove to my sponsors uh, and those that don't know me. That, that it is indeed not the person I am. So he's embarking on some kind of training program. He didn't send himself entirely sure what that program was, It was, but some kind of program anyway. Um, so like on the Ralph Lauren thing, he, he said he was upset or whatever, but he understood where they were uh, coming from. Uh, so today, plus one caps off a miserable week. Uh, the kind of interesting thing, Nathan, I guess, is how quickly he uh, picks up his form again, how quickly... He wants to be back in the limelight because that's that weird thing now. It's, it's, it's you know, the, for Justin Thomas to not have to face all these questions and not to be talked about uh, for the homophobic slur reason. Easiest thing he could do is miss a couple of cuts, disappear, uh, go quiet for a while. Whereas if he wins tournaments, he gets asked about it. And uh, subconsciously, at least he'll know that. So, you know, self-sabotage is a potent force. He's going to have to accept this has happened, get past it, and then want to win again, want to be in the limelight again. And I suspect it's the last thing he wants right now. Yeah, and can you put today's round down to that? He traveled from uh, Hawaii across to Abu Dhabi, so I'm sure there's a bit of fatigue and all that, and the stress and the weight of all that, so I'm sure it all contributes to him not playing particularly well. I guess what you got to think is, is it going to come at whatever stage you win again. So why not just get it out of the way? Why not get that first victory and that question that's going to be asked of, does this feel like you can finally move on from what you said and what you happened? And the quicker that happens for Justin Thomas, the better. Like it's rare he goes very long without a victory. And he has responded in the way you would expect Justin Thomas to respond in in the right way, saying all the right things about being humiliated. Um, I spoke well, I thought about, what Ralph Lauren did and how he had put them in a pretty horrible position as a brand who have tied themselves in with the LGBTQ community and that what he did was completely not in fitting with that. So talking about a training program, again, these are the things that 
you would ask for so that he doesn't make a sort of mistake again. So Rory McIlroy came out and defended him and said, I think what everyone felt that Justin Thomas has always come across as not just a, another golfer, as actually somebody who was a really, really good guy and has made one mistake and deserves a second chance. I think he'll get that second chance, but you're right. Until he sort of wins and has that awkward moment and can move on, it's probably going to hang there. Does it hang there around majors if suddenly he becomes a Masters winner? I'm not sure. Because mm. Fiona, I suspect anyone could. He could allow it to eat him up a little bit and to just want to retreat and retreat further. Yeah. Um, there's such a well-trodden PR path around these, you know, misspoken pitfalls now. And it's involves, I need to do the work. I'm, I'm, I'm on a journey. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I have to get to that place. I'm going to really interrogate. And which, when you first heard it, seems like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. But wouldn't it be nicer to just have him say, look, I'm going to hold some hands up. Yeah, I use that word. You know what? It's really thoughtless of me. Um, but this incident is going to make me interrogate the use of it. And I'm absolutely, I'm never, I'm not going to use it again. And just leave it at that rather than this whole idea of like, no, 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 no. I've never used that word. I would never use that word. It's like, well, guess what? There's a gazillion other, you know, you know, true blooded young men who'd use that word thoughtlessly. And, and it's just, it's unfortunately a part of life. It's, it's people use thoughtless language. Um, to be able to kind of just say, look, you know what? Yeah. And then just go, but whatever, let's just move on. And I'm, you know, I'm smart enough to know that, that, that if that word ever pops into my head, I'm going to go, you can't be saying stuff like that. And just leave it at that without this kind of this journey nonsense, this, this idea of I'm, I'm going to do the work. I'm going to it's like, oh, for the love of God. And I just find that just, and it just seems that's the one thing I really loved or we all liked was that when he was first interrogated about it immediately after the round, he spoke so well, like there, he hadn't spoken to anybody. There was no PR shadow on it or anything like that. Whereas in Abu Dhabi, you get the feeling that there's, there's a kind of, this is the line we're going to use to it all. Now, obviously he hasn't confirmed or denied any of that to me, but you get the feeling because I've heard that similar kind of explanation and not just with sporting celebrities, but just generally as it's like, you know, I need to, I need to really, I'm on, I'm going to, I'm going to do a training program. What the hell, what do you mean a training program? I don't think he knew himself what it was, to be honest. But it's, it's just such an, it's such a PR-y thing to say. It's like, you know. Yeah. Does this whole um, aspect remind you of um, the Tiger Woods when he came out bit, and yeah. said, yeah. I am so sorry for what I've oh, done, etc., etc." Et oh my God. Uh, it, it, it's, it's baffling. It really is. Well, um, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's not baffling if you think, well, he's lost one of his major sponsors. This is, this is to stop the bleeding, you know? So I want to make sure that none of my other sponsors abandon me. So I need to say the thing. Um, I mean, commerce is ultimately at the bottom of all of this, you know? But you can't win in that case because if you he can't. just no, goes to Abu Dhabi right. and keeps his head down and says, listen, that happened last week. I've made my statement. Oh, I'm no, no. Hard from it. No, what I mean, Nathan, is not, Asher, look at lads. Come on. I'm, I'm, I'm not about looking backwards. I'm about looking forwards. Like he's yeah, not going to say Annika Sarsen all over again. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> what I mean is, is that to say, is to, let's say, is to, is to remove the glare of the spotlight. Now, I realize this is, 
you know, this is, you can't be doing this because the fact of the matter is, is Justin Thomas, every utterance he makes in public is going to be scrutinized in a way that private citizens aren't. But to be able to kind of treat the thing the way most of us understand it is the thoughtless expression of a young man who's frustrated gets caught out and is forced to kind of confront the fact that, you know what, I can't be using that word. And you know, I'm terribly sorry for it. And, and not say, oh, that's not a word that's in my vocabulary. Well, it clearly is in your vocabulary. And, and the reason we know it's in your vocabulary is because you've used it. And frankly, we've heard it used a lot over, I've heard it used a lot over the years. And it's just, it's one of those things. And, and, and rather than to kind of turn it into this kind of journey thing, which, which I find just so, it's disingenuous to me. And, and I find it hard to really kind of trust or believe. You know, I always feel that there's like a, a well-paid PR agency behind in the shadows going, right, okay, how do we approach this? Rather than just a man, an intelligent young man standing up and going, you know what? I'm bang to rights. Yeah, that's a fair point. I think based on his initial response last week, he should trust his instincts on this. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And his instincts were so spot on last week. Um, I'm well, he did that and it doesn't stop. That's the problem. He did that exactly what you yeah. said. That is, that, that is the problem. And that's why I'd say it was a long plane journey because he said everything he could really say about it last week. And of course, it's all he's going to be asked about this week. And I mean, does he get asked about it again tomorrow? And the day yeah, after, no, after I, his I, round, I, like I, how many times is naive of me to, to yeah, geez, even even with a bloody good news story, like how many times did Woods have to repeat the same thing about his back oh. and how it was just so good to be able to play again? Like it just never ends because uh, there's a new press conference, a new set of journalists. So no, this no, time no, he's I, with the European tour crew. He'll go back to America and play in two weeks time. And those journalists if, haven't had a chance to talk to him since then. If he pitches up at the Irish Open in the summertime, someone will ask him about it, you know, so... Yeah, Justin, it's, it's been hard. a challenging few weeks. What do you feel you've learned? Learned, yeah, I know. You know, it's just yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I've learned what a pain in the ass this question <laughs> is. That's what I've learned. And, and yet, and yet, uh, if, if he was to take any advice, it should be, unfortunately, Justin, you can never, ever, ever show a certain disdain for those questions. You have to no, take them with true. humility every time. You have to suck it up every time, and that's just the deal. I um, was the one that um, the one that actually did make me raise an eyebrow. I was kind of when they were talking about, I mean, obviously, Ralph Lauren were perfectly within their rights and it was a perfectly legitimate thing to do is to pull support. Um, but as was pointed out, is that you imagine that here in a big fashion brand that has a particular a connection to the LGBT community, um, but uh, it's it's not really interrogating its own uh, use of uh, labor practices in Asia that uh, might also raise some eyebrows. <laughs> so it's not as if Ra Ralph Lauren are like, you know what I mean? There's, yeah. there's a sense of, there's a sense, the, nobody comes, nobody is so clean. I know. That's what I guess the point yeah. is. I know, that's why with uh, Ralph Lauren, I even had a look as well, because I was like, let's see how wider than white these guys are. So yeah. a quick Google tells you all you need to know. That's For instance, right. there's, a, there's a particularly interesting editorial in the Los Angeles Times. If you just want to Google, hey, Ralph Lauren, sweatshops aren't chic. You'll find some interesting things there about their work in China. Also, aside from the sweatshops, not a, uh, a bastion of liberal views, if that's what they're so concerned with. And, you know, they're charging like $400 for an Olympic T-shirt because they have the US Olympic team. And oh, then right. even just from November just gone, BBC News website 
and this is in India. Uh, women working at a Ralph Lauren supplier said they'd been forced to stay overnight to complete the orders, sometimes requiring them to sleep on the factory floor. Uh, one worker said, we're made to work continuously, often through the night, sleeping at 3 a.m. and then being woken at 5 a.m. for another full day. Our bosses don't care. They are only bothered about production. So, uh, Ralph Lauren, good for you. Is this the reason you roar Tommy Hilfiger today, is it? I, 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 the, and the other thing is, would you would you bank on any uh, clothing supplier being whiter than white? No, no. Well, no, because the 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 metrics, the consumer metrics dictate that if you were to make your clothes in a factory paying Western style wages, um, you'd go out of business pretty sharpish, yeah. because all your competitors are using low labor uh, factories in Asia, and are often using a third. Uh, third-party creator so that your brand is not immediately associated with that. So it could be like, for the sake of argument, is CTEX manufacturing in Shaojing in China. And it's not necessarily apparent who exactly, who they're making clothes for. So, but that's, that's just, that's, that's the dirty nature of, uh, if you want to buy like a, a, a 10 euro polo shirt, is like, unfortunately, that cost is going to have to be saved somewhere and it's invariably done in labor costs. Hmm. Yeah, everyone's complicit, really. Absolutely. So um, a few things to, to, to get to. There's Kevin Na um, and last week, and, and maybe you mentioned a Chris Kirk as well. There is uh, Phil Mickelson and his uh, signature on a uh, clemency uh, letter to Donald Trump, which was granted. Yes. And a few other bits and pieces. Peter, just before we get into uh, those two, I just wanted to touch on uh, John Ram changing equipment because we talked about this at length uh, when it all happened. And you weren't on the show, are you? And then you brought it up the following week. Uh, so, look, I guess we know it's difficult, and we and we we've seen everybody from Justin Rose to hell, even McElroy having some uh, teething problems. Did you ever go through it yourself? Can you explain why you professionals can get so lost with this stuff at times? It depends on what brand you use, Joe. Um, right. I, I'm a firm believer in, in in some of the top brands. They can literally manufacture something to the exact replica of what you've had uh, and put their name on it. Okay. Um, when you move away from the major brands, um, like, let me think, a, a, I suppose Justin Rose did it. Bubba Watson moved to the Volvic Ball. Um, it it's always very difficult to uh, replicate what you have been using with these, with these manufacturers, but the likes of Callaway, TaylorMade, Titleist, um, they're all so intertwined in their patents and, and that they use. Um, they're all very, 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 very similar. Um, you know, the same shafts, the same heads, just a different stamp, same weighting. Um, you know, we, we all spoke about Nike quite some time ago when Rory made the switch over to Nike that it would, you know, he would struggle. Um, and he did a little bit at the start, but eventually, again, with such a big organization behind him, um, you know, they made the golf clubs to pretty much fit what he was using. Um, and, and you're only really talking about the head of the golf club rather than the shaft. Everybody uses different shafts and, and no, no manufacturer insists on putting their brand of shaft in the club. Um, so you're looking at the head really. Um, so as much as we think 
John Ram will struggle with his equipment change. At at this stage, at this stage, I don't think so. Mm. But what I would struggle with was was is is the ball is the main thing, and trying to get the ball close to where it's meant to be is a um, that's the hard part. Okay, so so they can make the equipment pretty similar to rival companies, but the ball it's trickier to replicate. Very much so, yeah. Right, especially between Callaway, Titleist, and TaylorMade. Uh, there is a big difference between those three golf balls. Because I always get the impression within each family, within TaylorMade, within Titleist, even just chatting down your local golf shop, there's an array of options even for the amateur with the golf ball, even within those uh, companies. So I would have thought like, you, you know, they can say, well, what were you playing? Okay, well, our best one for that is this, which has this spin rate. And we can up that or reduce that depending on what you want. So I, I just, I, I would have thought it pretty easy. No, they, 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 they won't be able to change the ball. The ball, the ball is the one thing that, because it's mass produced, they produce millions and millions of these golf balls. So your tailor made that he was using with the, you know, your, your equivalent to your Pro V1, but it's only equivalent to being their top branded ball rather than the actual, um, how it performs around the golf course and how you see it performing uh, in flight. Um, a lot of golfers would, and I'm talking about professionals now, would all about the feel of, of how it comes off the club face, but also what it looks like in flight. They're so used to, when they hit it, looking in a certain place to see the ball trajectory. And if you're using a different kind of ball, golf ball, you're going to see that trajectory train, change substantially. Um, and it, also the feel of it as well, especially around the greens. And, and, and why would it be that like two, three, four days of playing around with it wouldn't just get you pretty close to comfortable with it? Because you've been five, six years using something in particular. Yeah. Um, like, you know yourself, when you change your mobile phone, um, it, it, it does take you a couple of weeks to get used to the difference, you know, in, in, in that phone. Never mind hitting this ball around, you know, the golf course. Um, and in situations where you need to control it, um, that feel is just not there. Okay. So what you're saying, Peter, is Some that be- for cl- for club makers, that say when Rory moves to Nike, that Nike can put the resources into providing him with the personnel that will go and get clubs to as close a specification as, as he wants to what he was playing with before, but that that's just simply yeah. not possible with the golf ball, that because it costs no. so much that you... You can't do a special John Ram personal range of 5,000 balls that will get them through the next few years. No chance, no. The manufacturers wouldn't do it hmm. because they're, they're they're all built under certain... And, and, and plus, they all have certain patterns that they have to, you know, go through. Like changing a golf ball takes a long time in, in, in the preparation of setting it up and stuff like that. Um, I remember going into the Strixon factory in Japan um, and you had to put on the white suit, white overalls. You weren't allowed to put your hands in your pockets uh, going through on how the golf balls were made. Um, and it was only certain people were allowed in at any given time. Uh, and you had to be, you know, part of the Strixon family, let's say, to, to see this in operation because it was under um, high security, let's put it that way. Okay, top secret. So, I mean, the, the, the guy who... Exactly, yeah. The guy who knows how to make the Titleist uh, Pro V might be 
in demand and head on to, to go work for another ball company, all that kind of stuff. Very much so, yeah. Right. Like while so- while golf clubs are, are 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 much easier to to manufacture because they're not so mass produced. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Well, he, he so did okay. For all you in, guys out there, he did okay in going Hawaii. to buy golf clubs. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's there's so many differences that you can go through, and this is why going to get your clubs actually fitted for yourself is sometimes not a bad idea. He did okay in Hawaii, Ram. So you just sort of suspect he'll be okay. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Na, fifth PGA Tour win. He got a mad career, Kevin Na. He's been on the PGA Tour since 04. Mm-hmm. He's like around such a long time. He's 37 now. What's 04? 16, going on 17 years ago. He's basically been out there since he's 20. Uh, he took ages to get his first win. Didn't get, he got his first win 2011 after seven, eight years trying. And then a long famine again. And now he's won four times in 55 starts, four wins since 2019, five-time PGA Tour winner. It suddenly like, transforms his uh, CV. He was three strokes down with six holes to play and had three straight birdies, then another in 18 to win the Sony Open in Honolulu on Sunday. Uh, that's very impressive. Like you think of Nah, and he talks about it himself, uh, post the players in 2012 where he was so slow and everybody was going crazy at him and the fans were like screaming, just hit the ball. Uh, and he tells the anecdote of Ben Crane, notoriously slow player, coming up to him on uh, a while after and going, thanks, dude, now you're it. <laughs> you know, you're the poster boy <laughs> everyone hates for slow play. Uh, and apparently he's improved. It's hard to know sometimes with TV, but he has improved on the slow play uh, front. So that's kind of a cool uh, little yeah. run that Nas got going on. It's also, I mean, it's good. And I know, Joe, you wanted to mention Chris Kirk, who came third. Um, Kevin Na, as much as he became the poster child for boring slow play, the reason for that slow play is far much more serious and is worthy of some compassion in that it was to do with an anxiety disorder that he he just could not bring himself to, you know, he was gripped with fear. And, and it's all well and good for any of us, well, with the exception of Peter, but like, you know, it, it doesn't really matter to our careers. But it's Kevin Nash's career. And so all of a sudden, that very thing that you've spent all these years working so hard for, you're gripped by an anxiety disorder that makes it impossible for you to do your job properly. And so and so he really he had to take time away. He had to go and figure that out. And, you know, and even though like he's not the quickest player, but he, he doesn't have that same kind of just spending ages in, in paralysis over the ball. Um, that he did and uh, and couples also with you know the the other one that was a nice story was Chris Kirk who came third and needed to finish in the top three to guarantee his playing privileges for next year or for the um, and did so and this is a guy who in 2019 had to take an indefinite leave from golf to deal with depression and alcohol abuse issues so the fact that like you know what a year and a half later he's back and under like the most extreme pressure, <laughs> like the idea that like all of a sudden you're like, okay, dude, you got to finish third. Otherwise the career is, and, and I can see Peter, you're kind of smiling at this. Like the pressure must have been absolutely unbelievable on the guy. Mm. And he managed to, to do what, what he had to. So I think that's kind of cool. I, I, it's amazingly cool. It's like, it's a beautiful story. Mm. And, and, you know, the alcoholism and depression was something he talked to really thoughtfully about and 
uh, painted these horrible visions of him maybe not having a great day on the course and then going back to his hotel and his hotel room and just being worried about money, even though like he'd, I think he had enough in the bank, but just how am I going to pay my bills in the future? Yeah. Stuff we can probably all relate to on some level or other, just worry, 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 worry. And alcohol was a, an obvious, relatively easy escape from that. But of course, then it becomes counterproductive very, very quickly. And it got into a, an incredibly dark place. So it's, it's wonderful ju- just to see him come back from that. And he talks now about just the joys of sobriety and a happy mind and a clear conscience was a, a line he used kind of interesting. Mm. And he was on the 18th on Sunday, par five, and he had to birdie it. Like mm. that is unbelievable drama. Par five, 18th, you have to birdie it. And not an amazing drive, short sides himself with his second shot. You have to get up and down now. You've short-sighted yourself and he pitches to one feet, five inches and taps in. That's uh, fantastic. It's, yeah. it's just gorgeous, beautiful. And Peter, you can relate to that better than us, like having to do it under not golf pressure, but life pressure, career pressure. Oh, it's it's very difficult. It reminds me of the story, as you say, going back to the room. I remember playing in Madeira one year and Madeira was, Madeira Island opened right up the top of the hill. It was a pain in the neck of a golf course, but if you weren't doing well, you always had to go to Madeira. And they, uh, I shot 72, 73 in the first round, which was a poor score on the day. And they they used to give you a bottle of Madeira port or sherry. And I had it back in the room, went straight back to the room, drank half the bottle because I was so depressed. <laughs> I woke up the next morning with such a woeful hangover. I, I never did it again. But luckily, I picked the sherry to do it, of, of all things. But yeah, look, it, it, it's, a, it's a game that can drive you mad. Um, and it, it's great to hear these stories that, you know, guys who can come back from, from the brink of, of their ruining their career, ruining their, you know, prospects in, in, in life, their family, whatever else, um, and chip and put the last to uh, keep it going is a... Uh, Look, they're just wonderful stories. Mm. You know, it's a terrible shame, though, is is that very few people, relatively speaking, got to see it at all on TV. Um, you know me, I like my TV ratings. So there's 150. So the ratings go for TV go down to 150th spot. So I'm going to get let you guess where the, the final round of the Sony Open figured. Of 150 yeah, shows in America. Yeah. Of 150 yeah, shows in America. Oh, 100th. I go, I go, I go 120. Nathan, you terrible optimist, you. 149th, oh, it yeah. figures. It what, was did it what did it beat? <laughs> it, well, it beat um, Mundo de los Deportes, which was on a cable, <laughs> Spanish language cable news. I like how but you said it, that, though. Yeah, it, <laughs> nice. came, it came six spots behind Yum and Yummer on the cooking channel. Um, which oh is uh, Chef Eddie Jackson uh, showcasing indulgent food dishes from around the world. So that came 143rd. And the so, final round. so bad. And this, now, is, this, is, this is live sport available free to yeah. air, isn't it? Now, there is one major mitigating circumstance is that the Browns Chiefs playoff game was on at the exact same time. So if you're interested in cooking shows and you couldn't care less about sport, it's yum and yummer all day long. But if yeah. you are interested in sport and you're American, chances are you're going to turn over to a key game in America's most popular sport rather than watch the final round of the second event of the golf season. 
Um, so what are you they, comparing it to, though? And here, listen, it's clearly a reflection of where golf is in people's priorities. But like the Sony Open, like there's a glamour I think that we give to the PGA Tour that yeah. if you lived in America isn't really there. No. So the Sony Open is the Madeira Islands Open, and ain't yes. nobody watching the Madeira Islands Open. No, absolutely, it has absolutely no bearing whatsoever on anybody but that small coterie of golf watching public. Um, in America, it's the majors, it's the players, and it's the tour championship. It's six events, and that's yeah. it. And of the majors, the Open Championship is largely irrelevant. So it's the three majors that are played in the U.S. with Augusta at the top by a country mile, followed by the U.S. Open because of its history, et cetera, et cetera. And then third place, the PGA Championship. Uh, the players and the tour championship and the way they've designed the FedEx Cup is 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 done especially to try and gin up uh, a golf watching audience, but it's, it's a tough sell. It's a really, really tough ass. So like I was looking, so it had the final round had a 0.19 in, in ratings, which means an average of 305,000 viewers. And in the key 18 to 49 demographic, 30,000 viewers. And that's it. So wow. as you said, Nathan, the wow. open. Yeah, because I do often wonder how it is almost the PGA Tour as popular in Europe as it is in America. Now, clearly it couldn't be. But I've always found when you go to America, it seems so strange watching golf at five o'clock on a Sunday that that's when it's it finishing. Weird, it's, a, it? it's so it's it's at such a perfect time for Europe. Yeah. It's a relaxing yeah, Sunday evening. Right. Feed yeah. up. You don't have to think about it. You just got it on. You're you're invested, but you're not unless it's Rory in contention or Tiger yeah. in contention. You're not massively invested. So it's just perfect wind down weekend television. Whereas at four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon in America, up against the NFL, it's it's kind of a very different thing. And yeah. and also as well as if you go say like, and obviously you're at home, you, you make choices yourself, but let's say you go to a sports bar where an American sports bar, so no matter what city you're in, has like, you know, every sport available on 45 different televisions. The golf is always on mute in a corner and nobody is watching because the big screen has always got the NFL. It's got whether it's the playoffs in hockey or basketball or whatever, but and golf is just such a non-sport for the vast majority of American sports fans. And so as a consequence, that's why it gets such crappy ratings. But I mean, even by the even by the the metrics of golf as being a minority interest sport, it is worrying that the ratings are so low. Like they they should be higher than than and Yummer, you know. Like that is that's come the on, barometer. Let's beat Yum and Yum. Can you give us a weekly update? But Yum and Yummer on the alternative. On the alternative, if you look at equipment sales, they've gone fifty-eight percent up in December. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, so amongst there's golfers, far more people who, who have come into golf and now are playing golf than actually watching it. Yeah. But, which is not a bad thing. Absolutely right. But the but the key here is is that it all ties into TV ratings. So how much sponsors are willing to spend on tournaments is entirely dependent to eyes on on Do you know, you it, know eyes. it doesn't seem to be affecting golf in that way like the purses keep going up i genuinely think the uh, tv the um, advertisers are thinking well the uh, wealth of golf viewers is what we're after here yeah. we don't need the masses so we're still getting a cohort mm. that we want and but, we're but, quite happy with that like it, it's still and and the t- the recent tv deal in the us was 
phenomenally good and yes. they signed it pre-COVID. But I mean, TV ratings weren't any better when that TV deal was agreed. No. So I'm not sure the size of the ratings actually is to the forefront of their it's, mind, you know? It's absolutely and, true what you say is, is the type of audience they're getting. So they're getting an over 55s who generally would be uh, well-to-do in a socioeconomic sense. So you're getting that, but the future of television and particularly with the atomization of the way TV is, is experienced is in that younger 18s to 45s market. Even if you take that broad market and don't break it up into 18, 30, 30 to 45s. Yeah. And in that market, they just can't get them. Yeah. And, but that's, and that's, that, well, that's, that's a fair the point. challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, I think that's the debate around uh, that every sport is yeah. facing, that people's viewing habits have changed completely. But I still think golf is actually in a very good position because when it becomes, it's already niche, it's going to become more niche but it's the richest niche cohort of people that's, you can possibly find. I think that's You true. know yeah. you are nailed on. If you are a Ralph Lauren, a luxury brand, mm-hmm. golf is your number one sport to go after because you're hitting everybody you want to hit. Well, yeah. it was until last week, and now you've decided that I can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing is that fits in with everything we've heard since the start of the pandemic about viewing figures, most certainly in America, that figures for the NFL, figures for the NFA and NBA are, are way down. Yes. which goes against everything that we sort of anticipated that when sport returned yeah. and it's being this beautiful distraction that for some reason in America in particular and in Ireland, the viewing figures for the All-Ireland Hurling final were down, was it 150,000? Football final slightly different. It was you know a done deal that Dublin were going to win it and it was on a Saturday evening, but they were also well down. So is it the lack of oh, hype? Yeah. Is it that because people can't go to the games, there's not as much conversation around it? Are people just doom scrolling constantly where... Yeah. It's just a nonstop news fix. The only counter is that Liverpool-Manchester United was Sky's most viewed match in their history at the weekend. But that had the hype, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An obvious parallel is with tennis. Nobody, but nobody watches any tennis events that are not the majors. That's right. So by comparison, golf's majors do very well globally and they have lots of other events sprinkled. It's just the nature of the wraparound season. There's now a golf event on the European tour and the PGA tour pretty much every single every weekend. Week. So that just by definition makes them inessential. Even Adam Scott has said like half the time, I'm just using them to tune up for uh, events that actually matter. You know, the players know that truth as well. So it's kind of just a, it's on. We don't really care if that many people are, are watching these events, they'll continue to be on. And then, you know, when the big ones come around, the audience mushrooms that seems to be their attitude to it there's nothing they can do to change it like what can you like no. you, you the sony open is either on and it's good it's never going to attract a big viewership or we just don't put it on anymore so let's put well, it on they, they tried remember when they tried night golf and six hole golf and, yeah, yeah, yeah and rock stars and music and whoa you know yeah uh, i don't think i think we're at, we're pretty much out of time we're not going to have time to do a review of the tiger doc but uh we'll all try and watch that yeah, yeah. Sure. and let's do it next week and that'd be good um, I, I was just thinking sorry just hold that thought Fionn. Yeah. do we now have more listeners to Golf Weekly than actual people who watch the PGA Tour like yes. we gotta be we gotta be hitting that threshold at some stage <laughs> yeah yeah sports going like that the amount of people in my life who listen to sports podcasts but don't watch the sport is yeah. ever, ever growing Actually, that's a, that's an interesting quandary, isn't it? The idea where where the critic and the commentator gets more attention than the thing they're critiquing yeah. or commentating on. 
Look, yeah. we've all we've all snoozed through a match back in the day, and then when Duffy oh. and the lads were on, well, said, "Right, recently... shush, shush, the action started." <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's true, or yeah, yeah, um, Monday night football. Yeah, absolutely. The game is I... crap. I'll, I'm half watching the game, but the second the analysis comes yeah. on and they get past that match and they're talking about whatever happened with Liverpool and Manchester United the weekend, I'm all yeah. over Carragher and Neville. Yeah, I think, I think that's increasingly true. The first hour of Monday Night Football. Before we go, uh, Fionn, you want to mention this Phil Mickelson uh, story? Oh, yeah, you can, yeah. you can so, just wrap us up on it. I think there's a sense in that, okay, so it's it, it's basically uh, President Trump as is, or former President Trump as was within how, his... How nice his, does that sound, huh? His, I know. <laughs> within his purview has the right to, to sign pardons. And he signed 140-odd of them on the last day. And one of them was for Billy Walters. And Billy Walters is a very, very well-known gambler and real estate mogul from Las Vegas who in 2017 was sentenced to five years in prison for insider trading. Now, Long-time listeners will remember that we covered this way back in the day, but the background to the to the thing was in 2011, um, Phil Mickelson and others made a lot of money on some clever stock deals or stock trades, and the SEC, which is the Securities and Exchange Commission, had a look at these stock deals because they happened on the eve of the sale of Clorox, which is a massive manufacturer, multi-billion dollar company that makes, amongst other things, Clorox bleach. And they were bought by Carl Icahn, who is a big billionaire in America. Anyway, so they were so and the share price rose and all these guys made a ton of money. So the F, do you remember when the FBI went to speak to Phil Mickelson after he finished his round at Memorial in 2014? Mm-hmm. So it was in relation to this investigation. Now it's worth pointing out that Phil Mickelson was never charged with a crime, um, but he did repay $931,738.12 in trading profits and $105,291, or sorry, $105,291,000 and 69 cents in interest. So just he repaid back over a million and uh, said, simply put, this is Andrew Cherezny, who's the head of the SEC Enforcement Division, said in 2016, simply put, Mickelson made money that wasn't his to make. So Mickelson paid it back. Anyway, that's the background of the case. In 2017, uh, Billy Walters, who was also implicated in this, he uh, went on trial for insider trading, which is obviously a federal crime, And Phil Mickelson had been asked to testify at the case, but he pleaded, uh, he pleaded the fifth, he invoked his fifth right or his fifth amendment rights not to implicate himself. So he he said nothing. And at the time, Billy Walters was very upset with this and told ESPN, he said, that was all he had to do. All he had to do was come forward and tell the truth. And the guy wouldn't do that because he was concerned about his image. He was concerned about his endorsements. Now, whether that's right or not, Billy Walters was sentenced to prison and no one else was. uh, And so everybody moved on with their life. Now, clearly, um, Phil Mickelson had a relationship with this guy. So I don't know, maybe he felt bad, maybe he didn't. But he signed, he was one of the co-signatories for a letter uh, pleading for clemency for uh, Billy Walters. Now, it's worth pointing out that he'd served four years, so he's going to get released soonish anyway. So this is just more of a pro forma thing. But... It's all much ado about nothing in the sense that they're making it out that, oh, my God, Phil Mickel, there is nothing. Um, former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, who's a Democrat, and, but he was the senator for, for Nevada, he signed the letter. 
um, the former governor of Nevada, Jim Gibbons, he signed the letter. Um, lots of people signed the letter in golf, Butch Harmon, David Ferrity, Peter Jacobson, and Phil also signed it. So there was a ton of people who felt, look, this guy's a good guy, made a mistake, and this was it. But, but what I've noticed is that in the last couple of days, they've been trying to kind of dredge up the, the Phil Mickelson thing. So look, the details are there. That's what happened. Phil Mickelson made money he shouldn't have made. He repaid it back, but he was never charged with a crime. Uh, Billy Walters was, served four years of a five-year sentence, and as because of this pardon, has now been released from prison. So that was, that, that was the story. I, you know, they, as I said, they tried, to, they tried to turn it into something. I don't think it is much of anything. Mm. Okay. Well, it was an incredible twist of fate at the time, though, that oh, Phil yeah. escaped and how we would view Phil differently if the law hadn't been changed. Well, if he'd, char if he'd been charged with insider trading, that's a serious crime. I mean, that's a really serious it, crime. Again, going back to the previous one, is it a serious? Would it be a serious crime for golf fans? <laughs> what no, about probably those, not, um, Angel Cabrera? Yeah. Oh yeah. Have you seen course. this one? Yeah. So, now, look, he's in serious trouble now, and it's whatever. worse than insider trading. Well, okay, but it's not connected to this, though. No, but I'm just oh, no, saying. No. No, no. But my point about Phil is, is that like at the time, like Phil was in big trouble, like the 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 FBI, like, I mean, think about it for the FBI to show up at an event publicly yeah, I think and wait PR, for you it, as you're coming off the 18th green and say, yeah, it was hey, good Phil. PR. It was good PR for the FBI. Or what it was, it was the FBI saying, oi. Like, this is way more serious than us just ringing you quietly and arranging for you to talk to us behind mm. the scenes yeah. so that this is never going to get into the public. It was very much done to get it into the public. And even for the SEC to say at the time, or it, like a couple of years after that, that Mickelson made money that wasn't his to make mm. was as much an acknowledgement that Mickelson was, had done something wrong without actually charging him with a crime. And uh, so, you know, I mean, anyway, there you go. But as you said, uh, yeah, do golf fans care about this? No, absolutely Phil not. Phil is Teflon. He is Teflon. Although matter. he did, <laughs> i tell you what I like about him is, is that uh, he, uh, he, he wants to win. For him, it's not about staying in the PGA. If he can't compete on the PGA Tour, he's, he's jumping, he's going to the Champions Tour. Because did he say that? Yeah, he said to Alan Shupak of Golf Week, he reported that he goes, look, um, this is Phil talking. I'm excited to start the year and see if I'm able to continue playing at the highest level. If I am, I'm going to really try to play more events on the PGA Tour and make a push, hopefully, for the Ryder Cup. But if I don't play well early on, I'll start to reevaluate things and maybe play a few more events on the Champions Tour because what's fun for me is competing, getting in contention, and trying to win tournaments. Okay. Phil Mickelson is not there just to show up to make up the numbers. Very good. Fellas, we'll uh, leave it there. So we'll see how Rory goes over the next few days and, and give our thoughts next week. And um, Tiger Woods documentary part two in particular, we'll do a proper review <laughs> of that. So we'll talk next week. Thanks very much. Thanks, lads. The OTB Podcast Network. With Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites. 